Hello and welcome to Demystifying Tech from Business Cloud. I'm Alistair Hardacre and I'm here with Business Cloud Editor Jonathan Simcox. Good morning. And Executive Editor Chris McGuire. Delighted to be invited back, Al. Later on in the show, we're demystifying open banking with Will Hurst of Manevo. And we'll also hear a sample of the latest, greatest artificial AI-generated voices for use in video games, podcasts, and beyond. It's uncanny. Uh, Stick around for that. But first, and most pressing this week, is how tech is helping to stop the spread of coronavirus. Now, in previous episodes, we talked about how the Mobile World Congress was cancelled because of uh, fears of the virus. Google's I.O. conference has now also been cancelled as well. We're just hearing this morning. Um, And there are over 50 cases in the UK, which is set to grow. Uh, Hospitals and health organisations in the UK have now been sent a letter from the NHS. They're preparing for a surge in the number of patients, and one of the ways they're tackling this is by carrying out more video-based consultations. Have either of you had a video-based consultation with GPs yet? Because it's on the cards. No, but I know quite a lot about it, and if you look at companies like Babylon and Push Doctor and things like that, you know, people getting uh, appointments on demand and being willing to pay for it. I know this isn't the same thing. Yeah. It's growing anyway, so it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, the, the moves hope to reduce the number of people in hospital beds, but it's also hoping to stop the potential transmission of the virus to people who work there as well. Babylon Health's GP at Hand is the app that you're talking about, which the NHS is using. There's also another app called Livy in the UK as well. I think when it comes to this, you're talking about necessity being the mother of invention. Um, but do you think that if, if it comes down to saving hospital beds, something like this, like coronavirus, is a good example of how we can all move forward and use apps like these more to free up hospital beds, even if there isn't a virus. Are you saying that the coronavirus is good? I'm saying that things like washing, you know, we're all being asked to wash our hands more. Now, I think that's just a good thing to do anyway. Yes, you know, true. That everyone should be doing that. No one should be proud of washing their hands. That's something everyone should be doing all the time. When people fall into that habit of, you know, out of necessity of using a video consultation, they'll say, oh, actually, this is something that works for me. Because the barrier to entry might be just you've not got it set up on your phone yet. So there was one company that I spoke to in uh, in Yorkshire last year, and it's, it's like a wider web hosting company, but they have built a product where you send a link. So you need to have a smartphone to use it. Mm. But effectively, a link is sent to, say, an elderly person's phone, and all the um, permissions, etc., are set up beforehand, which means that it's all the pain points are taken out of it. There's no two-factor authentication needed. Yeah. You know, the, the relatives can set that up in the first instance, yeah. which then means that they can um, hook up with a doctor that they've been seeing for the last 30, 40 years. So it's not a new doctor through a new platform. It's an existing G- GP surgery that's doing it. Uh, so they feel at ease, and then you know it means that they don't have to you know go all the way down to the surgery all the time. Yeah. Which, which you know might be very difficult for them if they're in a wheelchair or bedbound or something like that. So that that's the kind of technology which needs to be incorporated into you know an everyday uh, practice. Let's deal with about the coronavirus, horrible virus. You know, people are going to see their doctor complaining about being poorly, and then that doctor sees other patients who may or may not have the coronavirus. It's a no-brainer, you know. So I think drastic measures are called to try to deal with coronavirus. It's also we need to get a sense of perspective as well. Mm. You know, it's it's more people die of the flu, yeah. and most people, it's only people with uh, other conditions are going to be at threat, yeah. probably. Yeah. So I saw a story in one of the national press this week, and it was why you might die from coronavirus. Now I spoke to somebody yesterday who said that a seven-year-old son came up to him and her and said uh, 
you know, I think I'm going to die. What of coronavirus? Because he'd heard about it from his mates mm. at school. So we've got a real danger of, of mass panic here. Yeah. Um, what I think, so, but we do need to take some serious measures. The positive might be that through a negative is that the coronavirus might force people to actually start using and embracing technology and exploiting it to the nth degree, which it's not at the moment. The danger, this is my concern, it, it might be used as a sort of ruse of Trojan horse. And then, because doctors have been complaining for a long, long time, there aren't enough doctors to mm-hmm. meet patients. Yeah. Will it ever revert back to a status quo where if you want to see a patient or you want to see a doctor, you might find it really hard for a face-to-face appointment? That would be my concern. There's a strange kind of two two ways of thinking about the NHS, right? So we, we think of the NHS as this huge organisation that moves very slowly and it's very bureaucratic, and that's true. But also, it's one of the best equipped health, health services mm. in the world. So when something like this happens, we can contain it a lot better than a lot of other countries because the processes for this kind of thing are already in place. Yeah. And we forget sometimes that trusts around the country are adopting technology, sometimes on a local basis, sometimes a little bit wider, but they're, they're actually using a lot of technology that we don't see behind the scenes. Mm. So maybe this can accelerate the you know national adoption, if you like, because yeah. there's a national outbreak or yeah. an international outbreak. Yeah. Um, but I don't think you know the NHS isn't just this lumbering beast that everyone seems to think it is. Actually, it is kind of a forward-thinking institution as well. It's made people realise that actually... Um, if you've got a cough and you're hot and sweaty and got a temperature, you don't need to go into a waiting room, mm. potentially contaminate and infect other people in that waiting room and the doctor. And what I'd be interested to see is whether the use of apps and that increased accessibility to GPs actually speeds things up or it makes the type of person who is worried about, maybe unnecessarily worried about symptoms, more likely to take the GP's time. <laughs> and project. actually, if all you've got to do is click an app to check your symptoms, there'll be some people, you know, using it maybe once or twice a week when they think they've caught something just because they heard about it on the news. Quiz question, right? Yes. <laughs> okay, how long is a doctor's appointment scheduled for? Oh, I don't know. It's been a while. 20 minutes. Is it no, 20 minutes? 10, 10 minutes. 10 minutes. 10 minutes. I think 10 or 12 minutes. Yeah. So in the space of an hour, you can see a maximum of six people. Yeah. Right, okay. If you were dealing with people on a Skype call who wanted to discuss their symptoms about possible you know, coronavirus, how many people do you reckon you could see in an hour? Uh, I imagine it's more. Yeah, it'd yeah. Be, yeah. The fact is, and this is what's happening already, you probably don't need to see a doctor for a lot of that stuff. You mm-hmm. can see a bot. Yeah. And you explain what your symptoms are, and then it filters you to the right person. And if you're, but but we all know technology is not a foolproof system. Anything has got to be better than Doctor Google, which is where a lot of people go now, mm. googling their symptoms, and then uh, that first link tends to be what people think they've got. So whatever the technology is, it's got to be better than just googling symptoms and, <laughs> and following some strange website down to some uh, you know tragic diagnosis. I think what will happen is uh, talking about one in five people being off work at, at any one time, mm. massive impact on the economy. Yeah. A lot of our jobs we can do without actually being in an office. Yeah. You know, and what it might do is it might hasten the move towards remote working. And that's what Twitter's done. That's one of the ways that they're dealing with it, which is they were already equipped to be remote. So again, another another way in which it's kind of forcing the technology to move forward mm. with this thing that we can all, I guess, uh, get behind at the same time and, and try and fix with technology. I uh, spoke to a company recently um, and they are a construction company. They employ 30 people. And what they've done is they've bought four... Uh, laptops and they've empowered them with VPN, given them to their senior managers 
uh, two of whom are going abroad fairly soon. And they basically said, look, okay, if you get quarantined or if you have to do self-isolate, you've got access to our network. And it was something they had not previously thought about, you know, their business critical cover. So it makes, what what, what this is doing is it's making people think about the mm. what if. Well, uh, this is an ongoing uh, conversation, obviously. Um, health tech's really interesting at the moment, could not be more interesting. Um, if you're interested in this kind of thing, our health tech conference uh, takes place on the 15th of April here in Manchester. You can get your free ticket today and you'll hear from the startups and firms who are improving patient care and bringing new tech to the health tech space. Go to businesscloud.co.uk forward slash events to book your place now. Now, if you've heard the phrase open banking before and are still unsure exactly what it means, this next interview's for you. Following Business Cloud's FinTech Roundtable, I sat down with one of the panellists, Will Hurst from Manevo, to help demystify the new technology. Uh, I'm Will Hurst. I'm Head of Commercial Development at Manevo. Manevo is the UK's largest marketplace and platform for consumer lending, specialising in personal loans. Um, we're plugged in via APIs to a whole host of lenders. We've got 40 on our panel and we have uh, a number of large introducers such as, as flagship brands like Credit Karma, Confuse.com, Plum, Yolts, who plug in and we provide their entire loan marketplace for them. Do you want to tell us what open banking is and I suppose why people should be excited or want to find out more? Certainly. So open banking has come from a a European directive pre-Brexit called PSD2, which has meant that banks who have consumers that have savings or current account products with them have to open up um, the information on those accounts when a customer gives the permission for another business to do so. So if you're one company that wants to be able to access a a potential new client or a customer's information on, on, on their banking transactions, as long as that customer says, yes, you can do that, then the banks have to have the infrastructure and the technical capability to be able to pass that information back to whoever you're dealing with for them to access, for them to review. And likewise, a customer also under PSD2 has to have the ability to be able to access that information as well. And this is great for consumers at least in the practical sense. Can you give us an idea of how you know, that, te- that technology might manifest itself when people are doing stuff like looking for a loan or a mortgage? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, what open banking has done is, is really allow customers to take control of their data. It's, it's empowering people to understand more about how their data is views, viewed by other businesses, but also um, how they're actually spending and, and utilizing products like current accounts and savings accounts. Because now we can see all this data, there's a wealth of data, there's almost too much. So what we need to be able to do is, as fintechs is utilize other fintechs within the space that can actually go, okay, there's all these payments are this category, which might be gambling, which is uh, we'll come on to as a topic in a moment. Uh, but it might be entertainment, it might be shopping, and all of your, all of your payments throughout your accounts will be categorized as, as one thing. And in our world, in Manevo's world, we work so closely with our lenders and they're starting to be able to utilize that data to make credit decisions on customers. So if you're a customer that has a propensity for gambling, unfortunately, you're going to be, have a black mark against you and potentially you're less likely to get a credit product because of it. Obviously, there's a whole host of other factors that go into credit decisioning, which we haven't got time for now, but um, that's ultimately one a user case for how this data is being used. And how is it used within Manevo? What we want to utilize open banking for is to streamline the customer journey. So how can we get a customer through the application process for a credit product as seamlessly as possible? 
And once we've got the authority to use this data from a customer, we can now ultimately remove some of the barriers and some of the pain of filling out endless application forms. We can then take that data and pass it on to our lenders for them to start making that credit decision. So what we want to be able to do is put it in a format that allows our partner lenders to use it, but also make it a better experience for the customer, which for us, the heart of everything we're doing is about the customer and ensuring the best outcome for them. Uh, and we've talked a bit today about what the future might look like and how incumbent banks, traditional banks, those that everyone recognizes, and the threat of smaller banks like the likes of, you know, people will have heard of either Starling, Monzo, Revolut, they'll have heard of one of them. When we were talking about the future and what it might look like, one of the things that we said could happen, and neither of us are going to commit to this, um, but one of the things that could happen is traditional banks take a backseat slightly when it comes to customer service, things like categorization of spending. Uh, and those big banks, those traditional banks, uh, are effectively investment banks and effectively leave what is currently the experience of a bank to these new startups. Yeah, I, th I think so. So where we've seen um, some of the neo banks and those new challenger banks really driving the volumes of new customers they're, they're onboarding is from a, a user interface perspective. I don't think any of the incumbents are getting close to the neo banks in terms of user experience and user interface. And that's a key driver to the growth of those neo, neo banks. I think I think that's going to really continue, and I can see I can envisage a world where partnerships, whether it be through specific banks for specific products or through marketplaces like Manevo, who can provide a bank a, a a certain product or service, that's going to continue, and that's going to be a real big feature over the next five years because those neo banks don't have that full range of products that a traditional bank would. And the traditional bank doesn't have the ability to acquire customers and bring on new customers like a challenger and neobank can because ultimately they've got all the concepts and it's taking time for the incumbents to bring those concepts on board. Um, so it's a really, really interesting space and, and very much so I can, I can see that the front end may very well be owned by progressive fintechs, progressive digital businesses, and the banks are left to working out the products, managing the back books and effectively investment banks potentially buying those back books off the lenders. And that's a future with less friction and less frustration. Absolutely. Maybe, maybe it's one in which everyone can be happy financially. Absolutely, and you know that's that's where we all want to get to. Here is is uh, whether frictionless is the way we really want to go, and what exactly does frictionless mean, or do we mean part frictionless? So you know you can you can apply for a product really, really quickly, but do you want to be able to do it with a simple one click like you can check out on Amazon? Probably not if it's a 30-year mortgage, but being able to improve uh, the customer journeys for all financial services is, is absolutely key. Great. Thank you, Will. If that's got you interested in open banking and APIs, a write-up of the full roundtable is live now on businesscloud.co.uk. <laughs> Now, obviously, all of us have heard of deepfakes, um, but there is a new technology which goes alongside deepfakes, which hasn't got as much coverage so far, which is called AI speech synthesis. This is obviously the, the, the second part of creating a great deepfake, which is getting someone's voice uh, to say whatever you want. Previously, with deepfakes, people have used impersonators um, to try and you know get the likes of Donald Trump and Obama to say whatever it is they want to say. But now you can do it using artificial intelligence. Um, 
have either of you two heard of this speech synthesis stuff before? Because it's come along in the past couple of years really quickly. I heard about it yesterday when I wrote a story on, on investment into a certain company called Sonantic, which, yes. uh, yeah, which is what we're going to refer to now, I suppose. Yeah, Sonantic, they secured two million funding uh, this week. They're a London-based company. And what they're hoping to do is take... Uh, artificial voices and put them into video games and what this will help people do modern video games Chris because you're not much of a gamer not Pac-Man not (laughs) Pac-Man in the modern video games you get voice actors sometimes professional actors Hollywood actors to come in and deliver the lines for the cutscenes and and some of the gaming actually as well some of the sort of in-game dialogue Um, what this is hoping to do is take this technology to game developers and create dialogue without using a human voice instead providing them with an API capable of customising any voice's character, gender, personality, accent, tone, and emotional state to kind of increase the drama of the game. So do you say, what do you say, I want a cowboy who's in a bit of a mood to say this sentence and then it sort of does it for you? Or? Where's that come from, a cowboy in a bit of a mood? I mean, um, what's, how random is your thought process <laughs> no, there's, a, there's a game called Red Dead Redemption, which is about the Wild West, and that's, that's what I was thinking of. Okay. <laughs> there is some existing tech out there. Here's an example of uh, some of the existing tech. Now, this is consumer level. I got this from a free app called Headliner, which you can use yourself. Uh, this is, take a listen to this. This is meant to be Mark Zuckerberg, and, and, and this is something I typed in the output uh, was a, uh, a combination of lots and lots and lots of uh, previously existing recordings of Mark Zuckerberg, which then allows you to type in what you want. Tell me how convincing you think this is first. Hello, it's Mark Zuckerberg here, and you're listening to Demystifying Tech from Business Cloud. I mean, um, it's not bad. I mean, it's okay. I could tell if, if, yeah, if I heard the real Zuck saying the same words, then I would be able to tell the difference, yeah. I think. Yeah. Mm. You know, when you listen to it yeah. first time, that's pretty realistic. Although Zuckerberg is accused of being a bit of a robot he himself, is, yeah. isn't he? So <laughs> that's, that's kind of why I chose this one. Yeah. He's one, yeah. of the more, uh, one of the more convincing ones. You want to hear it again? Yeah. Hello, it's Mark Zuckerberg here, and you're listening to Demystifying Tech from Business Cloud. What I would say is... We're not going to get away with that, are we? When you listen to it, no, I don't think Mark Zuckerberg's lawyers will be very happy. When you listen to it back, what it sounds like is a series of words mashed together. Which is exactly what it is. Which is exactly what it is. So when you listen to it the second time, but but listen, most people will be fooled by that. Yeah. Uh, Well, listen, that's what's commercially available at the moment. Now let's hear Sonatic. This is a a demonstration of uh, some of the technology that they're using at the moment. Uh, This is an example of what kind of in-game dialogue uh, might sound like. And remember, this is two people that don't exist. How far do you make the destination? Far. How far? I don't know. We've been walking all night. Can we just take a break? Dad. You're ungrateful. You know that? Forget it. You don't understand. This is all just wasted time that I'm never, ever going to get back. Why are we even having this conversation? I'll tell you why. It's for your education, young lady. An education that's going to stand to you. You get a bit older, you'll think back. I'm well enough that's here. <laughs> well, you know, it does good. sound a bit like a cowboy, doesn't it? Which is, uh, which is strange. <laughs> it reminds me of um, The Last of Us, if you ever played The Last of Us. Yeah. You know, very emotional kind of, like, yeah. emotional journey, a bit like a film. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's that's the real deal. And, I mean, you compare that to Mark Zuckerberg and you can see how far the technology is yeah. coming. Yeah. Um, what they're doing at the moment is they, they're in talks uh, with close to a dozen well-known game studios, the idea being that, obviously, if you don't have to get big voice actors in, you don't have to pay them, you also don't have to re-record things if you want to change dialogue 
later. You know, a writer can write five different versions of the dialogue depending on what's going on in the game. Uh, and, and then you'd have to record five different versions, ah. five different versions of that scene. Um, what it got me thinking about, though, is that that's one use case. And obviously that's where a lot of the money is. The video games industry is bigger than the movie industry, so it makes sense that that's where they'd go. For me, though, this technology has way more uses. Like recording a, a business club podcast, or yeah, so obviously one of those is recording all of our voices, and then I'll just be able to type out the podcast. Uh, this will be loads quicker, and I won't have to cut anything out. And I can have you say, Well, you need the studio guest, but we could replace the host right. with, with the AI, yeah. and then uh, just respond to that. And then we could work from home, yeah. Um, but there are other there are other uses for it as well. One of the ones I thought might be quite interesting is you know, if you're when you're speaking to a, a helpline or something, wouldn't it be loads better to have this as kind of almost connected to a chat app? And then you're speaking to a what sounds like a real person. Uh, although obviously, you'd hope it's not as dramatic as that clip <laughs> that we just heard. Um, it's fictional podcasts as well. This could be a way of, you know, very quickly producing podcasts. I can't, uh, I can't imagine the, uh, you know, the acting unions. You know, it's a lot of uh, quite a lucrative market. The old voiceover market. Yeah. Um, I think the thing is, is that. A bit like with the, my argument as regards to coronavirus, there's good things and bad things here. So I listen to a lot of Audible books. That's a lot of recording for yeah. an actor to record 12 hours yeah. or 14 hours of a book. There's songs now that are generated by AI-generated voices, and uh, they're, not, they're not quite there yet. They're not quite there. Mm. But you can see how, for example, if you had throat cancer and you have talking mm-hmm. to a synthesizer, yeah. well, actually, if you could record your voice before you had your larynx and your throat box, you know, removed there's some value in that as well yeah but but it does beg the question at what point do you draw the line mm. you know do you need real people at all <laughs> where you use a voice do you need a real person yeah yeah you, know, you don't use that now for example yeah we're t- talking about um audio books tyson fury released a book recently yeah. and he didn't want to sit in a studio for two days reading his book out so he got some a journalist to do it for him you know a journalist that he knows very well um but I'm not saying that that journalist didn't do a great job, but wouldn't it be better if you could actually simulate Tyson yeah. Fury's own voice? Because yeah. you would rather Tyson read the book out in his own yeah. words. Now, whether he actually wrote it or not, I'm not sure. I'm sure they're, they're a good <laughs> ghostwriter. Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, no one's going to tell him, are they? Um, I mean, Michelle Obama, Michelle Obama, she did, she converted her book into an audible mm-hmm. and read the whole book, and it makes it a lot more authentic. Yeah, for sure. Um, but um, you know, I listen to that, and it's actually a bit sort of scary. Yeah. One thing that me and John get all the time is phishing emails, which say they come from Chris McGuire, but they don't. Yeah. And they ask they ask us both to hand over card details you know, via an email. Now, that's not coming from you, and thankfully we know that and we identify it, but this is another way that cyber attackers might be able to try and scam people. If they can mm. get the voice of a well-known CEO, a phone call's far more convincing than an email. Yeah, well, make that CEO quite angry or something and yeah. say, you know, you yeah. need to do this now and then yeah. put the phone down. Yeah. And the thing yeah, is, you see, there's, that, yeah. there's so much footage of CEOs on YouTube exactly, yeah. that actually trying to get some analysis of their voice already. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to give people ideas here because they'd already be thinking about it, but there was a really, really interesting case of a guy who was CEO of a company in Yorkshire, actually, and he was flying, but he lived his life on social media. He was flying from A to B while he was in the air and uncontactable. Uh, they targeted his um, CFO or whoever it was and said, you need to pay this invoice, was, mm. was aware that there was these contract negotiations going on. These are the details. In the two hours that, and it was an authentic paper, it looked really real. In the two hours that the guy was in the air, the money was transferred. By the time he landed, it was too late. He lost all his cash. Now, just say, for example, you could get a 15-second audio. Hi, is that Terry? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's John here. Just about to go in the airport. But before I do, make sure you uh, send that money to, yeah. to Alistair Hardacre. My God, he needs it. Um, <laughs> 
um, once you become aware of that, then 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 you you know once bitten twice shy. That is a concern. Yeah. Right. Is how a do concern. you regulate that? I don't know how you would regulate it. Yeah. Well, yeah, and maybe maybe that's why you know game studios are the place that they want to be at the moment. You know, because that's a nice safe yeah. environment without all of those uh, cybersecurity worries. But who knows? We could all. Uh, be, we could all be phoning in, literally phoning in. You know, fairly soon what will happen is you watch a film or you watch a TV programme or you listen to a podcast and it will say, mm. no real people were involved <laughs> in this film, this podcast. Well, yeah, you could overdub stuff, couldn't you? You could overdub stuff in different languages with the same actor's voice. So when I write the life story... Or my own life story. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna make my voice sound interesting. God, I tell you, <laughs> how many this volumes? This is what that tape will be useful. Yeah, ten volumes. That. <laughs> All right. Listen. Thanks for uh, both being on the podcast this week, and uh, thanks to Mark Zuckerberg as well. Thanks very much, Mark. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure.